Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on today's Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about impossible odds and what's the best way to handle situations when the players are almost surely doomed. Uh, that and other topics are on our mind because Paul's Fearful Ends Kickstarter begins this Tuesday morning. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. But before we get into that, uh, remind everyone that, as always, at the uh, end of the show at 2 p.m. Eastern will be our after-party chat uh, that's available to all of our patrons on our private Discord server. You can join that chat. It's a live video chat with Dan and I for an hour and uh, all, of our, uh, all of our backers uh, by vo joining uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Join any tier and join in in the chat. We love that every week. Uh, of course, you know, today's the 1st of October, so we are planning uh, all this month of October to dig into uh, the deepest, darkest, most ferocious subjects in uh, tabletop role-playing all month long, uh, yeah, parallel to Paul's Fearful Ends Kickstarter running, uh, again, starting up in two days. Um, so very much on our minds, something we wanted to dig into. Um, yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're really eager to get this started on Tuesday, Paul. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, um, you know, it's been a long time coming. Um, it, we, we delayed the start a little bit so that we could end the campaign with the Carnage on the Mountain convention uh, up in, in Vermont. So uh, if you're looking for an opportunity to test the game before it's out, you can uh, come check it out. Uh, and, um, you know, also I, I will mention, you know, um, our, it's been available to our patrons for a while now too. Uh, any any of our patrons who have mentioned to me a desire to be playtesters for this game have uh, gotten some uh, advanced playtest copies and have run the game a bit. So uh, yeah, very excited for that. Very excited for that. And um, and yeah, it was interesting. Um, I, I was very pleased to be able to line up the campaign with the October spooky season, and I thought it would be interesting to spooky horror related topics over the course of this month. And of course, there's a link uh, in the description on YouTube uh, for this show to the Fearful Ends Kickstarter. Um, and I also see that, uh, Paul, it looks like you have um, uh, escaped from the city to some, you've, you've wandered to some faraway <laughs> location with uh, wildlife and crickets. Uh, where, 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 you, where have you wandered <laughs> off to this time, Paul? It's true. I'm in a, a sequester myself in a uh, private locale for uh, the impending launch of Fearful. No, that's not true. Uh, I am uh, I am up in a in a cabin up in Maine. Uh, it's very amusing to me that uh, you all can hear this cricket um, because I hear all kinds of wildlife around me. Uh, but for some reason, the microphone has zoomed in on this one cricket wherever the heck it is. So, so you've yeah. literally traveled to a cabin in the woods <laughs> in order to announce Indeed. the Fearful Lens Kickstarter. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so the topic for today, uh, impossible odds, um, is is based on the very nature of the game Fearful Ends. Um, in fact, the, the title was specifically chosen uh, by a friend of mine. We were looking for titles for games that would that would um, 
emphasize the fact that this is a is a short um, span game, right? You're expected to play maybe a single session or a handful, just a couple of sessions. And the game features the downfall of the characters. It is expected that the horrors are so overwhelming that the characters will inevitably fail and uh, fail at least in resisting whatever horrors are being imposed upon them. Um, and and at best, at best they can hope for is to squeak by some kind of survival at the end. And so that's that's the real focus of Fearful Ends, and it's uh, it's interesting. It's an unusual kind of plot to try and run in a role playing game. I'm glad that we're talking about this because obviously in our um, house conventions and and circle of of role playing players, uh, you know, you and our larger circle of friends for for many years uh, played these horror type games, and initially they were using. The Call of Cthulhu system, and for a while you were using um, bits and pieces of the Savage World system. As you kind of evolved this and fine-tuned it over over many years, actually, and I would always—I mean, I, for a long time I didn't participate until very recently, actually. Um, and I and, and as an old-school traditional D and D player, I looked at it kind of at arm's length, going. Really? What? What is the point? Really? Is that this is that th- you're getting lots of players and they're very enthusiastic? And I would, I would, it would not be entirely natural for me to wrap my trad head around why do you want to be engaged um, in that kind of uh, that kind of session? Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about what what what's what sucks people in and and they they come back over and over again to these games that you run like this. It's, it's a good question. Um... You know, horror, generally, I would say widely about role-playing. I was going to say make broad, broad (laughs) statements here that I'm sure people will uh, shake their fists at. Um, But broadly, I would say um, one of the interesting things about role-play, especially role-playing games that are emulating a very specific genre, whether that's fantasy or superheroes or or, um, horror or whatever it is, um, is that... Unlike, I think, other mediums in those genres, roleplay is kind of about celebrating the tropes and cliches, right? Like, we, we really enjoy when, uh, when something in a, in a roleplaying game is just really echoes that original source material inspiration. Um, and so, so with horror, I think if you think about watching a horror film or reading a, you know, Stephen King novel or, um, you know, you know, watching a, you know, any, any kind of like survival or, or 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 tragic film, like yeah, you 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 go in there, you fully expecting that, like probably, probably it's not going to end well, right? Like like I think I think a lot of like really good horror movies that I've seen, you know, most of the characters die horrifically, and a co- maybe a couple survive, but at what cost, right? I'm thinking of movies like, I don't know, like Blair Witch or something like that, right? Where, mm-hmm. where you just know that the, you know, going in, like nobody, it's not a surprise, right? Nobody is, is, is thinking like, well, maybe they'll pull through. Maybe they'll uncover the, the, the horrors and overcome it. Yeah, generally they don't. Um, but that's, it's sort of not the point of, of a game like Fearful Ends. It's not the point to, um, you know, overcome and change the nature of the game. The point is to celebrate that, that um, that kind of story arc and enjoy it and, and revel in the details. Um, you know, it's interesting because you, you bring up like the other systems we played. And this is the whole reason that I, that I built this system, frankly, is that I was writing, con- I got into horror. I started playing some horror games. 
Uh, I wanted to write some my own scenarios, run my own games, and I struggled with finding a system that supported the kind of game I wanted to play. Um, Call of Cthulhu is good, it's fine, um, but it, it is very rooted in sort of traditional RPG styles. Um, so I always felt like the horror elements didn't really emphasize the horrific nature of the stories, right? You kind of just had a fairly standard set of rules. There was nothing in the rules that jumped out at me and went, aha, that's, that's what makes it hard. Yes, you have like, you know, a sanity mechanic in Call of Cthulhu, but um, I was no, no, really not satisfied with that. And then I switched to Savage Worlds, as you mentioned, and Savage Worlds is definitely built for high action adventure, right? It claims right. to be this generic system, but when you get into it, it really is built for high action adventure, whether that's, and that can span like many different, um, different genres, right? You could play a superheroes game or you could play a high fantasy game or whatnot with it. But in order to twist it, to play hard, you end up having to gut a lot of rules out of it. Right, right. I feel like yeah. when you start yeah. doing that, when you start having to make major, major modifications to a system, um, there comes a point where it's time to jump to a different system. Yeah. Yeah, so I just wasn't finding the system I liked, and I found what I was doing was I was using the core of Savage Worlds, and then I would have this list of all the rules that I ripped out, and then I had my own uh, mental stress mechanic that I was using, and so I was, you know, had that on a, on a, on the side. And this is just like I don't know. I feel like this is similar to many systems that you and I've played with in the past, where eventually you've house ruled it so much that you're like. I should just publish a document, I guess, or something like what, what do I, what do I hand to players when they ask, what are we playing? So, so that, that was really my inspiration to get this thing in print. Um, just like so I say, this fearful ends, we're playing fearful ends. Here it is. Great. Great. I feel like that's in a part of the life cycle of game design. I think, uh, I think many role-playing games have started exactly like that of you know, frequently using something like Dungeons and Dragons, heavily house ruled, and then it becomes its own thing. Um, yeah. So I think you, this is a good, uh, very much in the vein of what it's like to be involved in thinking about game design in a, in a smart way. Um, yeah, so obviously our, our, our the, the topic that we wanted to pick on today was specifically impossible odds. And as we, as we started October, I was happy to um, you know, embrace a subject that's that's a little bit mathy, <laughs> frankly, a little bit mathy <laughs> about what does it mean to have impossible odds, actually. And obviously, as someone who um, has uh, worked and uh, taught in uh, probability and statistics, right? You have these you have these technical terms, uh, certain and impossible, to indicate events that either are absolutely, you know, have 100% or have a 0% chance of happening. Um, occasionally as a gag, right? I don't think I intend it, but occasionally as a gag in some of my games, uh, like maybe a Book of War or Thursday Night or something like that, the, 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 the bonuses add up in a particular way that I wind up handing a six-sided die to another player and saying, uh, roll the six-sided die and you hit me uh, if you can roll seven or more. And <laughs> right. there's usually like kind of a double take, right? Yeah. Or vice versa, or like, like you know, you you, can, you you make a you make a saving throw as long as you roll less than seven, and they're, they 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 take it and they go, wait a minute. Um, so that's yeah. uh, obviously not not entirely what we're talking about with fearful ends, but I find that to be kind of a 
uh, a clever gag to without saying, right, without saying use the dice to represent that kind of thing. Um, I and I will also say that, go ahead. I was going to say, I think you're hitting on, on kind of the key, the key part of this, this discussion, which I think is so important, is that um, I don't think that it should be truly impossible. Highly, highly, highly unlikely, yes, but not truly impossible. There's not, there's not rules in my Fearful Ends games that just say, and certainly the scenarios are not written in a way, and unfortunately I've seen scenarios written this way, but these, my scenarios right. are not written in a way that say right. this will happen regardless of what the players do. Right, that right. just doesn't exist. I I do often write my scenarios. This is what will happen if the players do nothing, right? So I might okay. include, right? Here's here are the events as they're unfolding, and assuming the players just decide to you know hide under a rock, here's what's going to happen. But I'm always open to the players doing stuff and trying stuff and 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 attempting. Like that's the point here is to is to make the attempt, and and it is possible. For sure. I mean, certainly, if you look at the stats of some of the more horrific monsters, uh, the, the top tier monsters in Fearful Ends are, of course, the uh, gibbering mass of orifices and the uh, giant black tentacle monster. I tried to keep them very generic so that you can adapt these to whatever you know cosmic horror uh, types you want. Their stats are through the roof, right? There's like it's like playing first edition or, or, or a classic D and D, bringing your first level characters in against a lich, right? You're like could they win? I mean, maybe, but probably not. Very, yeah. very unlikely. Yeah, I, I, I like. I'm glad. I'm glad you're saying that. Actually, that, that I, I like that point a lot. And I'm also thinking about, uh, you know, first edition D and D with the deities and demigods book. And there would be, uh, you know, criticisms of the deities. You know, some people would say the deities should not have statistics. They should not be beatable. Um, and obviously, you get the whole section with uh, art by Errol Otis with the Lovecraftian deities, and their their stats are sky high. But even mm. there, they're finite. <clears throat> even though they're you know they're they're for the for the edition they're sky high, but still finite. And so I I on this particular topic, I am brought to uh, just what you know. One last thing I'll mention is in probability theory, you have this um, this concept of almost never almost surely and almost never, in which an event is technically could happen, but the probability of it is 0%. And those aren't actually the same thing anymore. Um, uh, for example, if you take a, I, I apologize for everybody, just for, I'm geeking out just for five seconds. Um, if you take a uniform probability distribution from zero to one, what's the probability that you generate a rational number? Well, zero. So. It almost surely won't happen, but obviously there are rational numbers in that in that interval. Um, so my when I come to these games, right, I'm really glad that that's your attitude, Paul, because as you know, when I do come to your 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 horror games, I come in frankly as a D and D player, and I'm trying to win <laughs> every yeah. time, right? I'm completely intransigent about it. Is I I'm there to survive and beat the game and win, and I haven't done it yet, but I've become I've come yeah. perilously <laughs> close. So, and, that, and that's certainly not everybody's attitude um, coming into these games. I don't mind a hard game. I don't mind playing yeah. a game on hard mode. So I'm actually happy that um, Fearful Ends, uh, the way that you run it, supports my kind of take, which is not exactly the take of every horror player, but I actually like knowing that there's at least a, a minimal window that I'm trying to aim for something spectacular. Uh, and I, as as a, I mean, as a traditional D and D player, I'm glad that's there. 
it's um you know a uh, a uh, an old coworker of mine used to coin this term that I always liked uh, in terms of like uh, a team of creatives trying to make something, which what is a role-playing game if not a team of creatives trying to make a story together in some way. Um, so, and he called it a uh, creative abrasion. So it is important to have creative abrasion. And I just love that term because it's like this idea. I always imagine like two pieces of sandpaper kind of just pushing against each, just sliding against each other. Right. Like it's, you know, you want the creative inputs to rub up against each other and abrade each other in, in a way that produces something amazing, right? And I think that's, like, when you come with that attitude, I think that's great because you come with good humor, you're not going to be upset or angry if you don't succeed, and you know that the odds are incredibly stacked against you. But I think that makes for good drama, right? That translates into uh, a fun story about a character who's really trying their best. In 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 essentially impossible odds. I I I like that take a lot. I like that take a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, so there's some there. So I can dig a little bit maybe in some of the mechanics and fearful ends that that encourage this. Uh, some of this is coming to. There was a discussion actually on our Discord server. I think about um, uh, death spirals or doom spirals. I can't remember what they call them. Um, yeah. Right. Right. This notion that like sort of as you start to to get injured or fail or whatever that your chances of success diminish right and that is certainly true in fearful ends right the more um you know the, the when you take damage that starts applying negative modifiers to all your future roles um when you um you know as you take mental stress it starts impacting your character and making them less helpful or less capable of being helpful in in whatever pursuit the the major the group is trying to achieve, um, and and so those exist, and and there was there was it was interesting because there was some debate on our servers about whether or not this is a good thing, and there's some arguments against it, but then it was brought up, yeah, but in the context of a setting like say a horror game, it's actually really nice because it feeds into the setting, and um, and I agree with that, I totally agree with that, I think that's yeah, I want. I want those mechanics in there because, um, you know, frankly, combat in Fearful Ends is brutal. It is brutally bad. If 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 you're playing, if you try to play like, well, I'm a, a, a beefy warrior who's just going to, like, destroy all the enemies they come across, if they, you know, early on there might be a couple of successes, but probably not. And then as you get into some of the more horrific monsters, I've certainly had cases where I have a team of players fighting a monster who can only be damaged by things they don't have. Right. And, and, okay. you know, they just, whatever, they just didn't figure it out. Right. They didn't follow the right clues or what have you. Not that they were, not that those things were in their face. Right. They're fairly minute, but just, oh, didn't realize that this horrific thing is only damageable by whatever it is, electricity or magic or what have you. And our, you know, our bullets are just bouncing off of its rubbery tentacled skin. Interesting. So, yep. Interesting. Yeah. Some certainly yeah. in, in other in other genres like um, you know like say fantasy <clears throat> fantasy play like in D and D uh, there would be some players or DMs you know and they, they they've always been part of the hobby who would say you know don't permit that don't allow that if I, if you yeah. get in a fight and you don't have the right thing change the monster change the monster in some way um and some dms will 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 change that and some dms will stick to the text as written um so it's interesting to hear some forethought about that that in this game that's completely on the table 
You know, I have, I, I can actually share a, a funny anecdote about how it's sort of a case where this sort of flipped. And it's actually one of my favorite anecdotes about how, um, how the, the mental stress cards work. So I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you all. Um, so I had an adventure um, where the players are modern day players who are thrust into a fantasy setting, but not in like a happy, fun, adventurous way in a terrifying, oh my gosh, this place is horrific kind of way. And, and there's one part where there is a dragon. And if you can imagine like a classic AD&D red, ancient red dragon coming across an average group of six people from modern day society, yeah, we're pretty unprepared for that kind of uh, opposition, right? So the stats were in, in built in such a way that, yeah, that pretty much this, this dragon's just going to tear them up if they even bother to face off against it. But um, I do include, um, there's one rule in Fearful Ends that uh, all damage dice explode, right? So um, if anyone doesn't know what that means, uh, when you roll dice that, that explode, uh, anytime the die comes up the top value of the of the die type, so a six on a d6 or eight on a d8, you get to re-roll and keep adding, and and you keep doing that every time you roll the big number. So there's this minuscule, this this rapidly diminishing chance of doing massive, massive damage, right? And I really enjoy that. That's super fun. I like I like the idea that that yeah, probably most characters in the game could take a bullet, but a lucky shot is going to just completely kill someone in one shot, or or well aimed shot or what have you. Uh, so in this case, one of my players jumped on the back of this red dragon and is flying in the air and he's got a revolver right because he's a modern day character and he puts the revolver at the back of the uh, back of the dragon's head and he pulls the trigger as many times as he can and he rolls the damage and what do you know it explodes through the roof just absolutely through the roof just sixes after sixes after six on his dice and it's this huge huge amount of damage and normally Normally, nothing he could do would actually hurt this dragon, but the damage is so massive that he kills the dragon in one shot. Or <laughs> six. Or power, you know, he empties the chamber right. on the thing. Uh, and so I'm rolling, and I'm going with the damage descriptions, and I'm going to go, okay, well, he basically you know, has, has killed this dragon. But of course, the amusing thing is the dragon is mid-flight. So it goes plummeting to the ground with him on its back. Uh, he then takes massive damage as he hits the ground, um, and ends up uh, getting decapitated. And oh, it's geez. his... Yeah, yeah. It's it, the, the the physical stress cards. I, I talk a lot about the mental stress cards when I talk about Fear Felons, but the physical stress cards have some nice effects in there for, um, you know, really bad things. They combine sort of locations, so it's either head or torso or extremity, and then it starts to get into worse and worse effects. And so just, you know, massive damage to the head, I just interpret that as, okay, he's decapitated. Head goes rolling along. And of course, the other party members who witnessed this take huge <laughs> amounts of mental stress because they've seen this impossible dragon <laughs> flying through the air and just get destroyed and their friend then get decapitated. Um, what, one of the players goes deep down into the, um, into the uh, hallucinations track of mental stress where they start to see or hear things that uh, are not really there. Um, and uh, so being a, you know, twisting that a little bit as DM, I decide, um, maybe it was actually, maybe it was the player. I think the player picked up the decapitated head and decides that they actually hear the person talking to them. They believe that they can now talk to this head, even though obviously the character's dead. And the player, the character who got decapitated just kind of smiled and said, can I role play the head? <laughs> and I was like, yes, 
Absolutely. Only this other player can hear you. It's none of it's all it's all actually in his head. But yes, you can roll literally head for the of the of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very delightful combination of card draws in that case that sort of landed us in this situation. Um, so I usually use that as an explanation of like some of the fun stuff that can come out of out of mental stress. But it's also interesting to note that like, yeah, I had this horrific giant big boss monster and they, they figured it out. They found a way to kill it. Not that it helped them very much, but they figured out a way to kill it. I'm gonna throw up a, a comment here um, by uh, ADB in truly Greek tragic fashion, which is also what I thought was at the at the pick up the head and use it for some other purpose later. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so when I was writing the notes for the video on, in YouTube here, I was trying to dig up um, kind of information about what what are what is impossible odds, what does that mean, et cetera. And I'm yeah. going down weird, weird, weird uh, side paths of philosophy, different philosophies. Uh, I'm looking up things like autonomy and fatalism and existentialism, and that's frankly the, the tagline of Fearful Ends. Of course, it's a horror role playing game about existential tragedy, and. And I don't know, what, what do you think of, Dan, when you think of existentialism? What comes to mind? Uh, well, uh, one, of my, one, of my, one of my shelves, uh, I think this shelf here is mostly existential literature, actually. So um, I, um, I, when I got my philosophy degree, for what it's worth, um, that was sort of my specialty, such as it was. Um, so, uh, you know, so to me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Camus and Sartre and De Beauvoir, um, and, you know, 20th century writers like that. And, and you know, um, Camus' uh, The Plague, uh, you know, it took me a long time to read it, and uh, it really was a gut punch, and it's on, been on my mind lately, frankly. Um, and, uh, I, frankly, uh, honesty, honesty about how terrifying it is to be in the world a lot of the time. Um, and you know, I, 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 I speak from a place of privilege. I'm relatively safe, right? I'm not worried about feeding myself from day to day. Um, you know, many, many people are, don't have that, that, that benefit. Um, and frankly, speaking honestly about the, the, how scary it is to be in the world sometimes, um, is something that I really, really value from, from the existentialist thinkers that might yeah, not have yeah, been I, the answer expected. I think that I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think I think the that for for people who do not have philosophy degrees, uh, you know, most times existentialism comes up in the in the kind of the phrase existential dread, right? Where we're like, you know, where you're just being very aware of how, you know, doomed we all are and how dreadful the the, the world is, how terrifying the world is. But I feel like there's another side of existentialism, right? Where it's where it's then it's promoting the self, right? It's promoting your ability, right? It's it's focusing inward on your ability to make choices for yourself and guide your own path through that world of terror, right? And that yeah. for me is kind of yeah. what Fearful Ends is about, right? It's taking the focus away from this big plot, right? We're not playing this epic plot of save the world, right? And it's the the plot line is not on the world level. The plot line is on the character level. Yes. Horrific things are happening to the world, but those things are going to happen whether you like it or not. But what? But like, how will the characters react? Right? Will they prove themselves resourceful and and bold and uh, brave and 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 strong, or will they collapse under the weight of of the of the horrors? Yeah, and I think that 
that's, yeah. that's the fun for me in Fearful. And, and especially when you have a group of characters all going through this together, like how do they bounce off each other and what is their personal arts? This was a major point, and this is actually a major selling point for me uh, that I try to harp on for Fearful Ends, yeah. is that a lot of Fearful Ends puts... It, one of the major rules in Fearful Ends with the Mental Stress deck is to try and put some control in the player's hand of that arc for that player. Like, this was a big deal for me for when I was playing Call of Cthulhu. What I noticed was I always wanted to go into the game as uh, you know and, and experience this, this arc. I thought, oh, my character will go through this experience where first they'll be very plucky and brave, and then they'll discover how truly horrible the things yeah. are going, and then it will get to them, yeah. and then they will collapse and fail at the end. And right. the thing is, that happens to the group, sure, but does it happen to each individual character? Usually not. Right, maybe one character has a real like upsetting end, but I think it's actually fairly difficult in Call of Cthulhu to have you know the whole party all universally experience this nice arc over the course of the of the session of play. Um, so, so Fearful Ends tries to solve this by empowering the players through the mental stress deck to control that pacing for themselves. Right, so they can decide at what point in the play, okay, this is the point where it's going to turn for my character, and I'm going to switch from. And maybe you don't do this, Dan, because it sounds like you just try to like you know survive the whole time. But I see this so often is by players they'll hit this point where they'll be like, well, there's maybe an hour and a half of play left, and things are looking pretty grim. I'm going to have my character stop doing well. Right now, I'm going to dive deep into one of these mm -hmm. stresses and one of these mental stress reactions, and and have them do some some fun unusual things that are entertaining to me as a player definitely definitely it's a good uh it's a good um uh, mix of uh game mechanics uh halfway forcing you into some kind of channel and the player having uh, uh some amount of autonomy about picking which channel um they're gonna they're gonna go down in fearful ends so it does in my experience it works super super well and the players who are, you know, looking out, pursuing this type of game, uh, come to it with some really impressive role-playing chops, and uh, it, it allows them to uh, really tap into what, you know, what one of the things that they really want to, to see in that game very well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that and that's. I think that kind of brings us full circle. I think to our to our topic here, right? Of of uh, impossible odds for me. Impossible odds is about still maintaining autonomy, right? That is, I think, the most important part for me is still giving the players that feeling that they have some control over their character, even if what's going on in the world is so overwhelming that there's very little to no chance of of them, you know, having a great success. But maybe they can aim for a smaller success. Maybe let's talk about some. So let's talk about some of these autonomy debates that we have in role playing nowadays. So if you if you go back to the the, the first game, original D and D, there are a lot of there are a lot of effects in the game that can remove the capacity for the player to control their character. And I mean, number mm -hmm. one is death. Okay, number one is death is, yeah. is removal from the game because your character died is the, the number one thing upfront about the mechanics. But then in addition to that, you have right the, the very first page of spells in original D&D. You have sleep, you have charm person, which is just an endless from day one to now, endless sorts of debate about what charm person does. 
you have hold and fear and feeble mind and polymorphing and petrification and insanity and sliming and uh, disease-born spores uh, are all core things. And you know, any one of those things, polymorphing, charm person, whole person can immediately in one stroke uh, you know, effectively remove a character from having capacity in the game. Um, now, obviously, you know, th this was, you know, original D&D &D was, was meant to emulate uh, pulp, you know, pulp fantasy slash swords and sorcery fiction. And so whenever I get sucked into a charm person type debate, uh, my mind goes back to particular scenes in Robert Howard's Conan stories, for example, like in um, uh, People of the Black Circle, uh, Conan and some compatriots invaded Tower of Dark Wizards, and just one wizard, bam, hits them with a spell that paralyzes the whole bunch of them, uh, Conan included, and then one by one compels them to walk up to where he's standing and get sacrificed. And, and De mm -hmm. decapitate them one after the other helplessly. And then Conan just happens to be the last one and he just happens to shake it off at the very last second um, and survive that way. So I think about that a, a lot. And, uh, you know, fundamentally, as far as my reading is, that's where the D&D &D spell hold person comes from. And if you, if you really read carefully in original D&D, &D, it's, it's an expansion on charm person. So Arguably, whole person initially is supposed to paralyze and control them like a robot um, at the same time, mm -hmm. if you want to. So I think about that sometimes and like, what is the best way for game mechanics to emulate that? Um, yeah. Does the classic hold person suffice where you just you, what, save, save or be paralyzed and be helpless? Um, should you get, you know, I guess there's a version that scales it to the target's level. Um, should you get recurring saving throws like would happen in fifth edition? Should it be the same for player characters versus non-player characters? Um, what do you, what would, like if, if you were, if you were emulating that particular moment, um, maybe in fearful ends, what would, what do you, what, what would, what do you think would be the best way to simulate that, that kind of action? You know, it's, it's such, it's such a good question. And I feel like we've, I'm sure we must've talked about this before. Maybe, maybe we've just talked about it idly. Um, but it's certainly we've we've hit this many times. I feel like I, I, you and I have both seen games where a player gets held or paralyzed by ghouls or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Where round after round, it's just like, nope, you're paralyzed. Nope, you're paralyzed. And then you, you start to feel bad for the person as a player, right? Because the player is disengaging because there's nothing they can do, right? They're just like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I guess I just watch the game now because there's nothing left for me to do. Um, no, Fearful Ends does have a, a mental stress card uh, called Fear that uh, does start to do some of these these um, uh, kind of deer in headlights types reactions where the card is instructing you. That's the whole point of mental stress cards. The more mental stress you take, the more it starts to direct you to take specific actions, right? And so there's one that, that yeah, at the higher levels is starting to say like, yep, you just immobilize and seize up and do nothing. The interesting thing is, one, the player's got to opt into that, right? The player always gets to choose which stress reactions they're going to get into. Yes, they're, they're cards, so there's, they won't have every single option in front of them all the time guaranteed, but it is easy to avoid one that you don't want. If you're like, no, I don't think that's going to be fun. I, I can skip it. Um, but I've seen players lean into it 
um, because it's it's enjoyable, you know, especially if they if they can be the one that are saying ha ha. Like I, I feel like the the point when the players usually play those cards is they're looking around the table and they're enjoying the reactions and and the actions taken by their compatriots to this. Right? Oh, we're supposed to be, you know helping we're supposed to be i don't know running away from these horrible fish people that are emerging from the lake and you're just standing there and you drop the flashlight in the mud what the heck man come on right are they going to grab him are they going to leave him behind and let let him be you know uh <laughs> taken over by the fish people uh and so i think that's in the, the interesting thing for me i think the way fearful ends handles this dan is that it, it one it puts the power into the player's hand but two it it kind of just opens the door to lightly suggest or push the player into that direction of enjoying the fiction at large that, that is being enacted by the other players, right? Take in what the other players are doing and feel like a bit of a participant in, in their story. That makes sense. That makes sense. I will say that, um, you know, and we touched on some of these subjects like a week ago, actually, in our discussion of assassins in which, you know, part of the, 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 the motivation for that discussion actually was uh, moments where, you know, a, a killer sneaks into someone's room and they're sleeping and they're helpless and they've got a dagger to their throat. Can you escape from that? Is there any point to having a mechanic for that or is it just over? And um, I, I, will, I will confess that uh, for me as a player, I found it somewhat um, easier to be like totally dead. Um, and so that like in the social situation, I know that I can <clears throat> get up and get a snack. Um, you know, now, now mm -hmm. I'm a spectator versus, uh, a mechanic, like we were talking about last time, like negative hit points where I can't do anything, but I, I also have to sit here just in case that changes, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, or cases where yeah. I've been dying and then I have to like spend a luck point every round in order to, in order to keep being alive or something like that. And for, for, and other people can differ about that, but for me being incapacitated, but still having to sit at the table as a player, um, is actually more painful than just being like, you're out of the game for now and you're a spectator and I can, you know, be in a different mental space. Um, so having having some some amount of knowing where I am with that is helpful for me. I want to I want to bring up another case, Dan, where I think we see this play out, and and you and I have seen this play out, I'm sure, in multiple games, um, and it happens at at a party level. So it happens to a whole party across the board, which is kind of the your classic prison break adventure, right? And I feel we've probably well, talked about this in the past. But, well, and, but, and, and right, I think that, William uh, uh, cleverly anticipated this about five seconds ago. So William was saying in a D&D &D context, and I feel there's a lot of overlap with the end your captured scenario and all of its issues. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because I think the, 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 the problem, my advice to anyone DMing a prison break scenario or, you know, getting captured is uh, always do it off screen. I've seen too many DMs try to incorporate like, okay, I've got this great module. It's about the characters ex escaping from prison. So in order to work that into my campaign, I've got to take them prisoner. Yes, that is true. So therefore I'm going to role play out a fight where they get ambushed by things they can't possibly beat and they will be taken prisoner. And the thing is the moment the players realize that that is the case and that their capture is inevitable, no matter what they do, 
Like, man, that's just going to disengage your players right then and there. Like, you just ruin the game for all those players. And I think it's way better to simply say, well, you were traveling down this mountain pass and you got jumped by an impossibly large uh, force of hobgoblins and they tied you up and threw you in cages. And now you're on the road uh, in this caravan being led away in cages. It's such a tough, I'm so glad you said it. it's, it's, so, we, we, we've experienced this a couple of times in our play and it's, it's, it's a truly amazing, um, event, frankly, what, what happens at that moment is really amazing event. And what we've also seen is we've seen, and I mean, it, and I would probably do, I would do this myself is like f- ferocious play, just the, the most ferocious, uh, uh, tactical play and all the players take out all the stops and they're like, yep, gonna take out the staff of the Archmage and I'm gonna break it. I'm gonna use the I'm gonna use the final <laughs> blast. Like whatever their 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 major yep. mad they deplete all their magic items, every spell, if they, if they need to yep. like permanently hit points or ability scores for something, they do that. And uh the 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 DM surely the, the referee surely doesn't anticipate this, but they're gonna like permanently, you know, maim the characters. Uh, in a bunch of ways uh, to avoid being captured, uh, which is, you know, certainly yep. not was, was anticipated. I could imagine some players just like, I'm, I will, ne- my character will never get captured. I jump off the cliff, right? I jump off the cliff. Yeah. I jump into the vat of acid to, to spite the, the attempted captors. Um, and it's tough in a yep. campaign. It's a tough choice, right? I think in a campaign, if it, you know, if it naturally develops, Right, and you knock all the players out, and it makes sense for these monsters to take them captive. That actually opens up interesting things. Um, if you've got to have a scenario, and they've got to be captured, um, that certainly makes sense in like one-off convention tournament play, which is what Fearful Ends is all about. Yep, yep, yeah. Just start there. Just do that part off screen. Yep. Just if okay. you're if you're going to take away the player's autonomy, just don't. Don't make them roll dice for it. Don't, don't spend time on it. Don't waste more than you know thir- the thirty seconds it takes to say you were captured. I agree with this. I I agree with this very <laughs> strongly. If there's something that must happen by by referee fiat, right? Rip the bandaid off, right? Th- yeah. th- this can make sense as reasonable adjudications and decisions. But rip the bandaid off. Don't you know? punish don't don't torture the player with something that's going to happen you just get to the thing just happening and i think that's that that's legitimate refereeing there's um i want to think that there was a um um oh my gosh i can't remember the name of the game designer who was giving advice like this but there was there was a, a game designer who had had some great advice about D&D campaigns and one of them was simply um keep the main thing the main thing right keep the main thing the main thing which which it sounds very simplistic right but the idea being that like if the main thing is escape from prison then focus on escape from prison don't focus on being captured that's not mm-hmm. what you're trying that's not the fun part right the fun part is escape we all agree that the fun part is figuring out how to escape from prison so just get to it just go yeah that makes sense. I will say, so yeah. I, you know, when this, this kind of subject comes up, I, my, my mind goes back to first edition D&D 
And um, I think that we've heard a number of, you know, younger players, they started with a later edition, maybe fifth edition, and then they're introduced to first edition. And I think frequently some of the commentary that comes back is that the, the game feels more realistic for what it's worth. Uh, the characters are, are more fragile in reasonable ways. They don't feel like cartoons. It feels, you know, scarier and more real world in a lot of ways once they get into it. And, you know, as we were talking about last week, um, first edition D&D does have a line in which if, uh, if a particular character is, quote, totally immobilized, totally helpless, then they can be automatically terminated, slain in one round, no role is necessary. Um, and that was kind of part of our assassin conversation last week. And in this happens in the example of play, right? The, the, the Gygax's example of play in first edition culminate, they're going through the, the, um, the, the, the sample uh, dungeon of the, the, the ruby or whatever people call it. And one of the characters gets into a secret passage and they roll for a wandering monster and it shows up and they get surprised and, okay, spoiler, it's ghouls and the character gets hit uh, by surprise by one of the ghouls, fails a saving throw for paralysis, right? And the DM just decides that the rest of the attacks automatically kill them, which is pretty mm -hmm. much in the rules, frankly doesn't tell the characters what have happened, right? Doesn't tell the, the player in question what has happened, doesn't tell the other players, and just goes, you hear horrible gobbling, rending sounds for a while, and then they, and then they stop and it's silent. What do you do? And that's actually where the sample play ends on that point. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, some people could see that and criticize it, but it's in the ballpark for the rules. And I think it heightens the moment. I think it heightens the horror of this moment that um, it's reasonable that the character is, is slain at that point, And the DM is going to keep that a little bit of an off-screen mystery to heighten the terror for that. And, and, and that character, and that character, that player is done at the moment, right? They're, it's not yeah. lingering. It's just, this is what's happened. The, the band-aids off. You bet probably need to go roll up another character now. Um, and it's it's very clear and it heightens the scene for the other players. And I think I, I come back to that and I really support that. Yeah. I mean, I okay, you're reminding me actually of a, a game I ran of Warhammer Fantasy 2nd Edition. I was playing with a group of players. They're trudging through the woods and um, they get uh, ambushed by some beast men. They manage to kill most of them, turn the others away. The, a couple of the beast men flee into the woods. And one of the players decides, I'm going to chase them. And all of the other players want nothing to do with it. They're just like, nope, don't, nope, running off into the dark woods, bad choice, not going to do that. And he's just gleefully like, yep, I, I give chase. I run and I, and, I, and I just chase the beast man as far as I can go. So as DM, I'm, I'm looking at, at the module and figuring out what's going on. I say, okay, well, I know that these beast men are from this much larger camp over here. And that they came to, to ambush, and having you know been mostly beaten back, the few remaining ones are probably going to retreat home. That's that's what makes sense. And so then I start running through my head of what's it going to be like to run this little side adventure of this one player chasing a beast man into a camp full of beast men, where he's just going to get overwhelmed, right? And there's just no way. Like I'm looking at the layout, and I'm like, he is just this is, one. It's going to take a lot of time to run this. 
two, the the probability is that he's going to get killed by this this almost surely. Almost surely, right? Um, and so I I took a moment. I I thought for a beat, and I just said, and that's the last you ever saw of him. Mike, please make a new character. And the players, and definitely, I mean, that's a bold move, right? Because you know, yeah, they were expecting something more, right? They're expecting, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, well, I think also that maybe I was possibly also balancing, like, gosh, you know, revealing the location of this. Beastman camp is maybe not great for the party who doesn't yeah. go on the chase, right? So, like, oh, do I really want to like take him aside and go run a whole separate aside thing? The funny right. thing is, to this day, Mike tells this story with glee. He loves it, absolutely loves it. It's like <laughs> one of the best moments of, of Warhammer I've ever played. <laughs> Adore it. I chased a Beastman into the woods, and Paul just said, "And your characters never heard from again." <laughs> and like, it just like the horror of that statement just delighted him so much. He was very happy to get out the character sheet. And make a brand new character. Yep, that is like that was perfect. Just just the kind of outcome I would have hoped for that kind of that kind of action. It has to be tasteful, right? It ha- and, and I and I get that there have been bad DMs in the world, or DMs in bad places, or DMs that made bad decisions, and I've done that before. Um, but um, you know, particularly when you're balancing, right? Not just one single player, but a table full of five or six or, or plus uh, players and their attention span and, you know, what they want to focus on. Um, it make it does make a lot of, it, it can make a lot of sense. Like in this kind of case, when one falls away, disappears, you know, is determined to wander off to just snip that plot thread off, not waste everybody else's time waiting for that get to get resolved. Um, and bring you know, and 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 weigh the the attention span of the of the larger group um, as a whole for that kind of decision. Yeah. Um, and if it was solo play, I might make a different decision. But when you are kind of balancing the the action uh, for the group, um, that actually is something that you sh- that you can keep in mind as a as a possible tool. And I've definitely done it the other way, right? I've done it the other way uh, where I've, I've either just done an aside with that player. I had a case where uh, the whole party decided to touch teleport rune that they went to who knows where. Maybe it kills them. They're not sure. Every, every Once one player just disappears, they're like, well, got to follow him, got to follow him. And the last player in the circle just says, nope, I'm not doing that. And he wanders off. And and so I was like, all right, uh, we were at the, close to the end of the of the night that night, and I just remember I actually had that player come back and run a little solo thing. I was like, let's let's organize a little solo thing on the side, one on one, and we'll find out what happens to your character, so you'll be ready for next week's game. Um, we absolutely did that. So so I'm not saying don't do that. That can be super fun. But in this yeah, case, this was a point where on evaluating what was actually. What, what the player was entering into, what the player had decided to go do without really knowing the risks was impossible, right? That I was, it was definitely a case of this is impossible odds. There's no way you're going to be able to take out this giant camp of beastmen. And in fact, just playing it out is both going to be boring to all the other players and uh, is going to maybe reveal information that they shouldn't have. Get it. Let's just, we'll just fiat this and move on. These are among the hardest things for a referee to decide. I think. I think that these are these are these are hard and sometimes perilous decisions, but the, the, those are legitimate resolutions to it. 
Those, those are legit, absolutely legitimate resolutions. And I think a really top end DM will make that decision uh, in that direction when it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. And Mike's, like, experience, I can't say it's an easy Mike's takeaway from that is like a joy, right? Is like, that's one of the most memorable I'm so glad things that ever happened it. to him, right? It, it felt to me as GM, it felt like a big risk I was taking. I was like, oh, he's, he's maybe going to hate me yes. for this. Because I've definitely yes. also done, I will say this, Inversely, I will say one of the worst things I think a GM can do is um, having players roll on a table where where death is on the line uh, without them really knowing the odds. Right? So I had this game where I was running with this idea. I think we've, some of us have played with this notion before of like, okay, I had like a, a rotating group of players. I never knew who was going to show up at the table. And so I said, okay, well, every session has to end with you returning to town. And if you don't, if you fail to return to town, yep, then I have this right. big table of possible things that could happen right. to you that you're going to have to roll on. And it's super, I was always like, I thought I was being clever because I was like, I'm not going to tell you what's on the table. It's terrible yeah. things, but they're all terrible. They're really, really bad. You really don't yeah. want to roll on this yeah. table. I promise you don't want to roll. Yeah, yeah. So inevitably, one of the players rolled and got like the worst possible result, which was death. And it was just utterly pissed, utterly pissed that that had happened. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, with that, if you don't know the odds up front, and that 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 was that was in this case too. Like he did not know when he chose to take the risk of chasing the beast man into the woods. He did not know that death was on the line necessarily. I mean, most of the other players were assuming so at the table, and so there was a lot of <laughs> laughter and jeering at him for choosing to do this. But he was like, he was in. He's like, no, this, this is what my character would do. I'm going to do it. Okay. I, I and I'll say I've made similar decisions about presenting mechanics to players that I think other DMs probably wouldn't of actually showing them a table, the wandering monster table in a in a wilderness area, something like that, um, so that they actually are aware of the decisions that they're making. And and other DMs go in a completely different direction from that, but I I, I also tend to veer in trying to make those risks clear and then having the dice be oracular. And honestly, yeah. telling us uh, what's going to happen, and and part of the reason I play you know role playing games is to see people's reactions when these you know when 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 the cold cosmic horror of dice tell us what has happened, um, yep. and see how people respond to that um, in a you know in a moderately safe environment. But that's part of why yeah. I play. Yeah, I like that. I like that honestly, and and I could easily see going back and rerunning that same scenario. Uh, and having come instead to the conclusion, instead of just fiat off the bat, I could have done something like, okay, well, I'm going to boil this down to one skill roll, maybe stealth, once he kind of gets close enough to the village to realize, oh no, there's a whole village of them. So let's roll stealth to see if you can like be alarmed and double back and, 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 and give up on this chase. Um, and then tell him something like, all right, well, you're, you're headed into the dark, terrible woods. There's truly tr horrific things in there. Roll me a stealth roll, and if you critical succeed, you won't die, right? <laughs> and that's Which I can totally yeah. see doing that, right? And just say like that's that's what you know, or even even giving him the option, saying like if you choose to go into the dark, horrible woods, who knows what's in there? Then you'll have to roll a stealth roll to survive, and you'll have to critically succeed, or you will be dead, right? And just give him that moment to say, okay, you understand the risks, you're taking it on, roll the dice. I don't I'm mind making those. I don't mind making those things up front to players, and the the the, the and it and again, I I like playing with brand new players. Uh, the first time that ghouls come up, 
I communicate to them that you know that ghouls infect you with a horrible burning disease that paralyzes you, right? And the first time they run into a level draining undead, I communicate. You can feel just being in their presence that a single touch would suck your life force out. Um, and I don't mind uh, trying to make those things, you know, a giant snake. It's clearly lethal poison dripping out of its fangs that you can see. Um, and I don't yeah. mind. I, I support having traditional D&D save or die effects generally. Um, but I do try to communicate to the players up in front so, so they're not literally just surprised by that. I think in Mike's case, right, we knew that the woods are dangerous and we knew that running off by yourself into a in monster infested woods, that seems pretty clearly communicated up front. Um, so I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think all that stuff makes for a reasonable, tasteful game. Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, I'm sure, uh, I can't remember the very specifics, but I w I'm sure that in that moment, there was probably a lot of laughter and jeering from the other players and at least one or two check-ins from me of, are you sure? Are you yeah. sure you want to do this? It's very, very dangerous. <laughs> right? I've said this before, but I was at a I've said this before, but I was at a diner, right? And and my 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 friend ordered like a fish soup or something like that, and the waitress just she didn't say anything. She just went. No, don't do it. Don't do it. And when when your <laughs> when your DM or your server has that reaction, just you you're gonna go in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, we are out of time. Oh any, my. <laughs> any final thoughts on impossible odds? It's a, it's a tough boundary to adjudicate. I, I I'm so glad that we're we're talking about hard issues, right? And you know, as some folks in in the chat like Ash, you know, pointed out, some players will 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 accept uh the way that we've decided some of these things and some players would would reject them in other in other directions. And um, I, I, you know, de death is on the line when you when you when you when you go in for a D and D game. You know, you know, I'm accustomed to a role playing game having destruction of your character on the line, and there will be these points where the DM needs to make an adjudication about is this an impossible situation? Do I even want to bother through playing it out? Is it going to be a good experience or a good use of time for me or this player or the other players? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes just move, moving past this bad situation, describing it and moving on to the next inter interesting decision, occasionally without that player involved at that moment, um, is actually the best decision. Um, so I actually like being aware of those moments. Uh, they're easy to get wrong, but... I, I don't mind, you know, we do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. And I like having the opportunity to practice those those hard decision-making moments. Nice, nice. If you are the type of GM who likes to live in the gray and, and, and revel in those moments of impossible decision-making, then why not check out Fearful Ends? Because that's what it's all about. <laughs> We've had a lot of good. We've had a lot of good times with Fearful Ends, and I played in it. I, I didn't used to be a horror game player, but I played in it. I will play it again. I've run a game myself. Uh, it works so well, and I really hope that people will look at the Kickstarter again in the link on the description here on YouTube starting on Tuesday. And I, I, I hope it's a big success because more people should um, should try it out. Thanks so much. 
Uh, viewers, if you have some opinions on impossible odds or have some other situations you can think of, maybe um, where you were presented either as player or DM with a situation that was utterly impossible, want some feedback on on what was the right choice? Uh, what would you have done? Uh, give us a give us a comment here in the uh, YouTube uh, comments thread. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe we'll uh, spark some interesting conversation for a future episode. Definitely. And of course, remember, you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok. We have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So please look for us there. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can find those audio files on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcast carriers, such as iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, Google Podcast, I'm informed, is going away. So uh, I advise uh, stay away from that. Maybe go check out Pocket Cast or another, uh, uh, another podcast carrier if you're on Android. Um, if you're listening to this show right now on a site that one of those third-party sites that does provide our podcast, and it offers the opportunity to do so, please rate and review our show. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. You'll see our various tiers. In particular, like Paul said at the top of the show, access to our Discord server where the conversation is continuing 24-7. And we're always roping in threads that are very, very intelligent, very wise uh, patrons uh, are are uh, telling us about on our Discord server into our shows and ideas for future shows. Um, coming up uh, this week, the number one thing is Tuesday morning, the Kickstarter for Fearful Ends starts. So we will be looking uh, at that uh, very, very closely and hope that you'll uh, join us uh, over on the Kickstarter there. Uh, I'll be back Thursday night um, as I try to get through the end game of Pool Radiance. I have been told, so I have, I finally found, I finally found the secret door at the end of Pool Radiance, apparently into the end game. I was told a long time ago by an expert player that I used up a magic item that I, months ago, apparently I was told, I used up a specific magic item that I need to get through the end game and that I made the game impossible last year. So I'm gonna, I, as usual, I'm, I'm queuing, I'm manning up, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna buckle up, and I'm gonna attempt to get through what I have been told is an impossible end game due to prior play in Pool Radiance, and that's what's gonna be happening Thursday night. Um, well, so good luck with so, that. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. Um, and we are planning more shows all October about horror-themed events, hard things in role-playing, hard decisions. And um, again, we'll be, you know, because we're, we're, Paul and I are both kind of focused on fearful ends at the moment and horror gaming. So we really hope that you'll uh, join us for those uh, future conversations all month long. We are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.